welcome again to all our lovely listeners. Today we're talking about the Apple Watch, Tattoo Gate, Apple TV, and more. It's episode two of Magnificent. As per usual, I'm your host, Ian Fuchs, and I'm joined by our two lead panelists, MacTrash.com senior editor Chris Houck and Glendolph the Space Gray, a.k.a. Mr. J. Glenn Kunzler. How are we doing today, gents? Doing fantastic. Doing great. How about you, Ian? I'm really well, actually. It's, it's been a good week for me. Excellent. Always good to hear. First uh, full week with the Apple Watch. Yeah, we want to hear all about that. Well, we will certainly. That get should eat up at least. Should eat up at least a half an hour. I mean, come on. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure we have plenty of time to discuss. Yeah, that. yeah. How's everything else, Glenn? I hear you're doing some big stuff at work. Yeah, I had a had a pretty wild week. I uh, got my fair taste of management for the week with the uh, store manager away to another store. So that was always a little bit of excitement, a little bit of stretching and growing. And becoming a better man, obviously. Well, or at least a better manager. One of the two is definitely the case. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, what's new with you? Anything super exciting in your life? Oh, no. I, I found, some, uh, found some dollar Atari joysticks yesterday at a store that was closing, so that was like the excitement of the week. Oh, lovely. So I use, I use, use those for my old emulators and stuff, so... Uh, almost that's about as, as exciting as it got for me. Almost, almost. I, about uh, 15 years there. So I can remember uh, when pinball was the cutting edge in the arcade. So I'm, I'm out there. <laughs> wow. But yet I, I have a PS4 too, though. So let's, let's not, you know, I'm not done yet. So you are at least in the modern age. I am. I am. Sorry. That's very good to hear. Well, let's jump into our first topic, which is obviously the most obvious thing to talk about, the Apple Watch. Units started delivering last Friday, and lots of, I guess, unboxing things and first-hand reviews and such hit the internet. What did you guys take away from the opening weekend of sales and the opening weekend of usage and such hmm. it, it, it's, it seems very impressive apple seems to have done extremely well on the sales end um, certainly having enough difficulty keeping models in stock for whatever reason um, millions and millions of sales as per usual and the people that i've seen that have actually got one seem extremely pleased so far yeah, so you've actually had people come into the store with them on, or yeah, we've we've had a handful. Uh, I I haven't heard anything bad about them yet. Um, one one person was a little bit concerned about um, his stainless steel one's tendency to scratch, which has been oh, yeah. about a little bit this week. I don't feel surprised that a piece of stainless steel would scratch, and I'm amazed that yeah, other it's... people seem to think that's such a shocking thing. Yeah, they were trying to do like a scratch gate or something in the middle of the week. It's like, yeah, stainless steel scratches, guys. It's, yeah, inconceivable, yeah. right? That a highly polished piece of metal will scratch. Who would have uh-huh. thought? I think my uh, biggest takeaway from this past week has been battery life is great. You know, Apple had initially said 18 hours for all day battery life, which to me was kind of conflicting ideas anyway since 18 hours is not all day 18 hours is three quarters of a day (laughs) um 
And then, to my surprise, I charged it full Saturday morning, which the charge time on this is fantastic. It's 90 minutes from dead to charge, maybe slightly more. That's excellent. And that's with a small charging block, not even the big one for the iPad. So yeah, nine, 90 minutes. I pulled it off the charger at 9 a.m. Uh, Saturday morning, and it died sometime late Sunday afternoon, uh, like 4 or 5 o'clock. I figured about 32 hours on a full charge. Does it come with its own... Uh... Does it come with its own charging block? It does. Uh, it it comes with the uh, 1.2 um, amp or volt or whatever the small one that comes with the iPhone is. The same block. So yeah, that was uh, that was quite surprising to me because I expected the end of the day Saturday to need to plug it back in, and decided I was just going to let it roll till it died. Thought I'd wake up with it dead, and wore it through my sleep and everything else got up and you you were at some type of yep I event or work. something where you were showing it off for everybody left and right i was at a work function and several of my coworkers and stuff were asking you know can we see it can you show us how it works i don't get it and as we kind of rolled through it it was like every 20 or 30 minutes i was showing here's how to send a text here's how siri works here's a phone call here's pictures here's some apps here's glances so I would consider it fairly heavy usage, and I was still able to make a full, um, more more than a full day on it, and that's been consistent over the past week too. That's great. I'm charging it in the morning one day, and then the next night, and then a a day off, and then back to the morning again. So ninety percent now, and I took it off the charger like four hours ago so it's always nice to have something perform better than they say it will people people always complain about the battery life of apple products so yeah it's certainly outliving my expectation and outliving my phone's battery i'm plugging my phone in a lot more often than my watch so i expected the inverse Uh, on that topic i've i've heard a few conflicting reports on how the apple watch affects iphone battery life there's some people saying that uh, pushing off those notifications to the watch is actually improving their phone's battery life. Some people are saying they get a little bit less battery life as a result. What is your experience, Ben Ian? You know, I haven't, I haven't really noticed a drastic change one way or the other uh, as far as battery life. You know, pre or post watch. Um, the first day I had it, obviously, I. I shaved off a good 15 or 20% getting the watch set up and paired and apps loaded and all of that. Um, but uh, I haven't noticed any drastic effects on my battery life over the last right. few days uh, aside from aside from that first day. Um, so no major impact on my my battery life one way or the other. I'm still charging my phone every night, so I'm I'm using sixty to seventy percent of the battery, you know, every day on my yeah. iPhone six. I can you- certainly see if you're doing a lot of like uh, Bluetooth phone calls or something on the watch. That could degrade it. 
that could certainly drain the battery on the watch or a phone pretty quickly. Right. Well, how about uh, how about apps, Ian? Have you found anything you you really like that you uh, can't live without that has made your life better? I uh, I really like just the the workout app, the stock Apple's stock workout app, and the activity tracking that comes with that. But I haven't really found any third party apps that have come in and you know stole the show and been a, an app where it's like I do this thing and you should buy a watch just because this app does this thing. Um, you know, most of them are just displaying information that's already on your phone uh, in notification center or somewhere else. So there's not a huge, you know, win there. Um, there are a couple that actually do allow you to interact with them, obviously. Um, like RunKeepers app, you can uh, uh, start a run or walk or whatever from your phone, but half the time uh, I need to open the app to choose stopwatch mode or outside mode because I don't run outside every day. Um, I run on a treadmill part of the time, so I, I would have to take my phone out of my pocket anyway. I think glances is where there's really a big difference. I know I've seen on online a couple of times already that um glances, which is basically just when you're on the watch face, you swipe up and you have quick access to things with a brief bit of information from whatever relevant app. There's there's where the real surprise was for me. I know I've popped that up to look at my calendar real quick or look at the activity for the day in a glance or um you know check the weather. Uh, quickly from a glance instead of actually going out and opening up the app and looking through that whole field of little orbs. Mm-hmm. Have you done Apple Pay on the watch yet? I did. I uh, just did a Whole Foods shopping adventure and decided I would do Apple Pay on the watch, uh, even though I've always, like, since Apple released Apple Pay, I've done it on my phone at Whole Foods numerous times, like to the point where I don't even look at it twice and think about it since they're so used to it. Uh, but I did it on the watch and it was, it was really convenient in the sense that I don't have to worry about how I'm holding my phone and you don't have to worry about the thumb on the touch ID thing on the watch. It's just double tap the button on the side. It pulls up your card. You hold it over the reader and it gives you a little uh, buzz with the Taptic engine and then tells you, okay, it's been processed with a little check mark. Nice. And there was a little chime, and I moved along. The lady at the checkout looked at me like, did you just do something? Because I didn't <laughs> see you swipe a card or pull your phone out, and then transaction over, we moved on. Yeah, that's lovely. It, it, was, it was certainly a, a little awkward, because you're kind of just hanging your hand out in the air, and so that part was a little strange. But at the same time, the convenience of, I could have something in my hand and not have to worry about fussing with my iPhone. Uh, it's really kind of nice. That's great. So I, I guess the the biggest question is um, how is this affecting the way that you use your iPhone? Are you finding a, a major difference in your relationship to your phone, using your phone a lot less? Uh, how, what have you found as far as that goes? Um, you know, I'm I'm definitely... And I know I read this in a lot of the earlier reviews too. I'm much more aware of the notifications that are happening on my phone and 
like hyper aware of how useless some of those notifications really are. Um, you know, it's a constant stream of buzzing and beeping and chirping and whatever that happens and realizing that some of those things need to be shut off or suppressed, at least not at the watch level, um, to really make it kind of a suitable thing. Um, I'm, I'm also spending just a lot less time physically on my phone, pulling out my phone, looking at it, whatever. Um, even, even I know any watch could tell me the time I'm looking at my Apple watch, uh, which I never seem to do with my pebble or anything like that. Um, so I check my time on my wrist a lot more now. So you're more, are you more knowledge or take more notice of the, of the notifications than you did on the pebble? Well, when I, when I was using my pebble for the most part, I actually had it switched to phone calls only for most of the time that I used it. Oh. Uh, I didn't care for the, the buzz. I just didn't care for the way the vibrate felt on the pebble. Hmm. Um, it was a little just obnoxious and almost jarring and too distracting for me. Um, so with the Taptic engine and the Apple Watch, it's it's a much more subtle nudge, like a little tap on the wrist, much less than a, a vibration or a, a jarring like, hey, pay attention to me. Um, and some of the things they've done with it are, are really kind of amazing. Um, so... So it's, so it's not really a vibration, it's just kind of a tap? It is it is really hard to explain until you experience it. Um, it's it's crazy. They they took sounds and they actually said, you know, what, is, what does this sound feel like? And that's what they've replicated with the Taptic engine in here. So it's, it might feel <laughs> like a pinch or a tap or a, a slight rub. Um, and it's, it's crazy what they've done with it and they've made it kind of this living thing or f- lifelike feeling that happens through a little vibration on your wrist, which I've, I've never experienced in another device before. Sounds like maybe it's one of those things you have to feel it to understand it. It, it really is. Yeah. Feeling is believing. <laughs> So, Glenn, when's yours get here? Uh, yeah, I just got my shipping notification finally, actually, uh, this morning. Excellent. So it's um, it's Excellent. due by Wednesday, which I'm very excited about. Can't wait to get my hands cool. on one. Every time somebody walks in the store with one, I, I, I always freak out a little bit. Of course, I have to I have to glare at their wrist for a while to you know make, make sure it's real and, and show my obvious gadget. That doesn't make un- uncomfortable at all. <laughs> Well, except I'm not the only one doing it. There's like five of us that all crowd around and we're like, oh, you've actually got one. (laughs) I was actually really surprised. I was out in downtown Chicago this weekend and I, I didn't see a single other person with an Apple watch, which I thought for sure I would encounter somebody else with one. Um, but I, not that I looked at everybody's wrists that was out, but I know, when I was paying attention, uh, I saw a lot of people wearing watches, but I didn't see anyone else that was wearing an Apple watch. And that was just kind of shocking to me. I guess I, I kind of felt like an elitist, but also a dick. Uh, <laughs> it's like, well, I, I have it and I, 
I'm ahead of everything. And I, I wonder if that just means everyone else hasn't gotten theirs yet. Or maybe everyone else just thinks I'm a pawn and so over the top about Apple that I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Not sure which side what, of the what line. What is that? It's fine landed, line. It landed on the edge. Fine line between elitist and dick. <laughs> <laughs> An elitist dick. Yeah. So, uh, other Apple Watch related stuff. I I know an Apple product launch isn't an Apple product launch without a scandal or game oh, or God, something. Yeah. Um, what do you guys uh, make of this tattoo gate that? everyone is is talking about where the the heart rate sensor oh, Lord. isn't read yeah. correctly over some tattoos if a person has a tattoo under where the heart rate sensor is um what do you guys think yeah heav- heavily tattooed with like reds and blacks i've had probably four or five readers contact me and say they you know, they, they're either concerned because they have one on order and they, you know, their left arm is a sleeve. They've got a sleeve on their left arm. Or I actually have two readers that did say that uh, one had had a lot of problems where the Apple Watch kept telling him to stand up every hour, even though he was already standing. Hmm. He, stands, he stands at his job all the time. Yeah, I had the, uh, the exact same problem, actually, the first day I had it. Uh, it reminded me like three different times at like 10, 11 and noon or something. And it was like, Hey, stand up. And I was mm. like, I'm already standing. So I just decided to flip it on them. And I sat down instead for a minute and then would stand back up. And I was like, Oh, Hey, you stood up. Good. Congratulations. <clears throat> another hour. So I, I kind of used that as a, so you just switched the whole thing around on Apple and just, I'm so, not going to stand uh, up. I'm sitting down. I'm a rebel. I wonder what's going on there. I, I wonder if it's looking for movement, and if you're standing still, that doesn't register or something. Yeah, I think if you if you're standing and sleeping like I, Ian does, much like a horse, <laughs> that, uh, it, it gets confused. Yeah, I'm not really sure what it is that it's looking for to decide whether you're standing or not. Uh, I assume that when it says stand, what it's looking yeah. for is that you actually move around a little bit, not just physically stand up and stand in place, um, but actually get up, move around, you know, go to the fridge, see what's there, grab something to eat, and then go back and sit down again. Um, so it sounds like <laughs> exercise to me. Yeah. Not not like you're riding, you know, not like you're riding a little mobile cart in there or something. You're actually walking to the refrigerator. I mean, come on! I do that at least twelve times. I mean, a couple times a day. Yeah, and so you know, for me, I've I've been using it as a an excuse to go get more water at work. You know, it may it may not be empty, but I'll have drank some, so it's a chance to go out to the drinking fountain, refill, and just top off my water. At home, it'll be a good re- reminder to go to the refrigerator, get a beer, come back. Absolutely. Every hour. It'll pace. It'll pace you too. Yeah, you're pacing your beers. Twelve pack a day. That's not bad. Twelve pack a day is reasonable. Yeah, and if you drink like one of those apple ales, then you're just totally going with the whole thing. So this is going to be the next you, thing. You, uh, you too, too much beer gate caused by Apple Watch, right? 
I'm drunk at work gate. Apple Watch made me an alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody will file a lawsuit on it. Somebody will file a lawsuit. Absolutely. And, you know, if and when the Apple Watch is ever jailbroken, uh, I wonder how long it'll take from jailbreak to someone changing the text for the stand reminders to be something like go grab a beer or go grab yourself something to eat. You've earned it and, and customize those messages to be something, you know, just a little more comical than stand up. I say three hours tops. I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) We'll get the news has been jailbroken. And then three hours later, here's that app. It, it may already be built. The, yeah, they, they just, they're just waiting. If any app developers are listening to this message. <laughs> it's a great idea. Yeah, we got to cut. So what, 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 are, uh, what are your instincts? What are your thoughts on this tattoo gate? Is this a serious issue? Or does this have more to do with the, uh, the physics of the hardware that Apple is using to detect heart, rate, heart rates? Um, do we think it's something that can be fixed by a software update, or is this something that people are just going to have to accept as a limitation of that type of technology? Yeah, it's version it's version yeah, one. Think, so, go ahead. Yeah, I think it's really just a limitation of the hardware. I mean, it's using light to read your heart rate, and there's obviously an inherent issue with the way the ink interacts with the light and the way it reflects the light. And there's a lot of science behind it that I don't even understand. And I tend to understand that kind of stuff. Um, But I think there's really just some science behind it that we, we can't, can't fix it with a software update or anything like that. Like it's, it's a physical because of the lights they chose to use and the lights that work for this. I don't think they can, just quickly do an update and and patch it or software update themselves out of the issue. It's just going to be how it is for this version and maybe in version 2 or you know something they'll come up with a more effective solution for it. Um so there's that or maybe try wearing the watch on the other arm or I guess if you're just heavily tattooed maybe it's just technology that's not quite ready for you, and yeah, sounds like or, or maybe this is the, eye tattoo removal. Yeah, maybe this is the time for people to get part of their sleeve removed. You have, you have people going to the laser place, just wanting a little, like a, a three inch square removed of their sleeve. It's going to be a specialty service watch right parlor. Yeah, yeah, that or people getting tattoos that specifically leave a, a void spot there just to accommodate. The, just gets uh, that little section rubbed out. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> like a design where they're just like, oh, well, right here is a little space that we're going to leave open just so that you can continue to use your Apple Watch or use the Apple Watch without having it interfere with the tattoo. And maybe that's the... and. Maybe that's the trick to fixing it. And if one of our listeners is going to do it, make sure to send photos to Chris at MacTrass.com. We'll publish them. What the hell? 
This, this will be Ian's claim to fame. He started the eye tattoo removal trend. Starting a fad. <laughs> Maybe get a hashtag out of it. Who knows? You know, it wouldn't surprise me if it was me that did it. I considered doing there you a go. full sleeve. So... Maybe cool. I'll we'll get exclusive it. exclusive coverage rights. Like, Maybe great. I'll just have the patch open, and you know, it organically incorporated into the design of the tattoo, so that's just a, a void spot. The invisible tattoo. But there is another potential issue, which is a supply issue, um, which may be plaguing Apple Watch orders online, and causing some complications with when people can get their hands on the device. But allegedly, there's an issue with the Taptic Motors um, pushing off some of the the orders online and making issues with their stock of them available for people to order. Um, And I don't necessarily think it's actually an issue. I think that it's probably more along the lines of they've sold that many devices that they just have a hard time keeping up but i did see that that's been the rumor is that maybe there's an issue producing these taptic engines and that that's actually what's pushing it off and causing some of the shortage of supplies i think there's that many devices being sold i mean we reported on the the haptic engine deal and it's possible that that one of the suppliers had a problem with it but i just don't see it i mean this is pretty normal to have shortages and and you know pre-orders taking a while to be delivered with any apple product it's just i think it's that popular it's kind of a tough call every time apple does one of these launches and and there are deficits there are immediate questions Uh, could apple have planned this logistically better was it really that much more popular than apple expected i kind of think apple knew this was going to be some kind of a smash hit um, I, I can't imagine they didn't at least try to plan in such a way that they'd have you know, pl- plenty of watches available for people in their stores and so forth. It's not too far-fetched to think there may have been some kind of supply chain issue, because if you look at the number of components in the Apple Watch, it's it's almost you impossible know, it's, it's for one. at least one of those components not to have been a factor. I mean, in, in, in how many units they could build. I'm not sure that the Wall Street Journal has this right. WSJD originally ran this story. Um, It's two of their authors that aren't commonly headliners, but it's it's not certainly not out of the ordinary for that to cause supply issues. Well, Apple can't win it anyway. Apple, if 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 they made thirty million of them and they sold twenty nine million, there were no shortages. Oh well, they. They overproduced. It's not. It's not popular. It's a failure. Right. If they don't, you know, they make ten million and they have twenty million people want to buy it, then oh well, they didn't plan well enough. So you're damned if you do, and damned if you don't. Yeah, Apple's the uh, the consistently doomed company whose stock always oh, somehow yeah. rises. Yeah, I'd, we should all be so doomed. It also really doesn't make sense because the device has been unveiled since September, October. Right, right. So it would seem more to me like we would have seen delays back in November, not now. Yeah, and it may they, well have been. It may well have been, and, and somebody just now got the information. 
it seems like if that were the case, Apple would have known and they would have pushed back the launch quietly on their end. Um, There was no specific timing to the watch. The actual timing of the event is always somewhat of a surprise. So all of the power uh, was, you know, was in Apple's court. Uh, Certainly they would have done something if they would have known supply would be an issue. You would think. And and while we're on the the topic of supply issues, let's shift gears a little bit and move from Apple Watch over to Apple TV, which I hear may or may not be seeing a shortening supply. Um, Chris, I know I saw you posted that the shipping times are slipping to a couple of weeks. They're actually f- fluctuating more than slipping. I just checked before we went on the air here and... Uh... It's it's showing immediate immediate delivery. It's it's in stock, but yet that that very same day I kept track of it after we published, and it was like every two hours it would go to, you know, five to seven days out. Then it would come back to immediate. So I don't know what they were doing. It makes sense. I mean, it, all, all indications are pointing towards there will be an announcement at WWDC in June. I don't know if that's just wishful thing on everybody's part. I really want there to be a new Apple TV. Because I'm getting to where I really cannot recommend it to anyone. It's simply not keep hasn't kept up with uh, with all of its competitors. There are better options. The only time I even recommend the Apple TV now is if someone already has a huge library of Apple content. Well, and there's the whole bit about airplane mirroring, which. Uh, I think is probably one of the landmark features of the device. I still recommend it on that basis alone. You can mirror your Mac. You can mirror your iPad. Yeah, it's handy for that. I think products like the Amazon Echo are really what's what's changing what people expect out of the home connected device. And when you combine the idea of the Apple TV with something like that, I really think that's the direction Apple needs to start moving in, that it's a entertainment platform, but it's also a functional interactive home automation type tool. I have the Amazon Echo and I absolutely love it. I think my wife likes it more than I do. She uses it more. uh, We have it near the kitchen, so she uses it a lot for timers or for... uh, you know, how many teaspoons in a cup or, you know, all that stuff. I don't cook, so I don't know what she's talking about. But uh, I, my favorite thing right now is to tell it to turn off the front room light and turn on the bedroom light because I have Wemos in both rooms. So she'll do that now. Um, and they're, they're, every week I get a new email telling me some little feature they've added. It's gotten better and better over the four or five months I've had it. So what aspect What aspect of the Echo seems intrinsically Apple like? Is it the home automation aspects of it? Is it the fact that it's got a really good voice recognition engine? Um what what makes this feel like something Apple needs to do? I I think with um when you know when iOS 8 came out and they added that Hey Siri functionality to mm-hmm. the iPhone and the iPad I think that's really kind of what's cluing people in on this is what Apple is going to do now um, and use that same kind of functionality where from anywhere you could say, hey, Siri, and your 
Apple TV starts listening and you can ask it a question or you can ask it to add some to your reminders list or some right. time or whatever it is, all those same functions you're using your iPhone for, but now more connected into your home than, than ever before. It, it adds a level of convenience that you can't get from your phone because now you don't have to pull your phone out of your pocket and, yeah. and press I, to activate Siri. But instead, you can just from anywhere in your house say, hey, Siri, and it starts listening and I assume has would have a built-in speaker of some sort, you know, so it's not requiring the TV to be on. Right. But that you can now make that that jump and it adds Siri to your house and allows you to do things from any anywhere in your house, whether you have your phone in your pocket or not. And even without the requirement of having an iPhone or an iPad and not having to have it plugged in, which is obviously a huge. I, I wonder if this is why we haven't seen a whole lot of action from Apple's HomeKit, which they announced at last WWDC. And we just haven't seen a whole lot of yet. Maybe they've got to play. Um, may, maybe this is something that they introduced to get people excited well, they were working on a platform that integrates the Apple Watch and Siri on the iPhone and maybe the Apple TV. Um, right. And it, it seems to be more of an issue now that the Apple Watch has Hey Siri, but the iPhone doesn't unless it's plugged in. Why can I have it on a, on a tiny little device with a tiny little battery, but not on my iPhone 6 Plus? Well, to be fair, when you're using it on the watch, you have to have the watch face on so you have to turn your wrist over and lift it like you're checking the time and in those five or six seconds the screen is on activate siri so it's not that it's always listening um it's only listening when it's partially activated interesting Uh, so it's more like when you hit the home button on your iphone and Siri comes right. Out. If you've as got to pull as... your phone out of your pocket, you can just hold down a home button, right? Right. Well, as long as the home button or screen is on, mm. then it's listening. Interesting. But like I said, the idea that you could, in theory, just say it to your house in whatever room, and Siri starts listening. You could even potentially activate devices. You could say, "Watch Siri." Hey Siri, watch TV, and she clicks mm. on and brings the TV up. Um, or, hey, Siri, you know, FaceTime my mom or whatever, and using a built-in camera, it could do some of this stuff. That would really bring mm-hmm. the, the Apple TV kind of forward. Yeah, I think it has to be something that's, something that's going to be inconspicuous and just, well, like Echo, you don't even really pay attention to being there until you want to use it or until it lights up while you're watching TV and it adds desire to your shopping list. Which it did last night. We watched. We're watching a movie. Someone something about all that and desire. And she thought, said Alexia, Alexa, add desire to my shopping list somehow. And she added that to my shopping list. Was that an album? And or desire is hard to find. Desire is hard to find at Kroger's. <laughs> but yeah, I think it would be really cool to see something kind of along those same lines come out of the next generation Apple TV in some way shape or form since it kind of has sat stagnant now for like three years or four 2000, years 
2012, maybe something like that. It was the last major update. Right. And other than that, we've seen a price change. You know, that one yeah. was just a uh, 1080p processor bump, I believe. Yeah, there, there was a processor bump as well, which is what allowed it to go to 1080p. They introduced a newer version of Apple's system on a chip. It's like the A5 I, or something? I kind of can't help but think um, that the price reduction was an immediate play on Apple's part to get the device into more houses. Um, but that's a 30% drop in price. That's, that's pretty substantial. Maybe the idea is increase sales, increase adoption, increase home integration before unleashing something that's a major update, that's a major development to the device. Um, WDC, WWDC is kind of the ideal timing to release a device like this. Um, anything they can do of substance to the Apple TV has almost got to involve developers. It's almost got to involve the App Store. It almost mm-hmm. has to involve some third-party work. Um, and anything that's going to tie in developers, WWDC is kind of the natural place for it. I'm really hoping for an app store. I I would love to see some real custom tailored game solutions. I would like to to see the ability to add channels like you can do with a Roku, maybe sort those channels channels into folders. Folders is something we haven't seen on the Apple TV yet, which could go a long way in decluttering that interface. Right. What, What was that, Ian? I'm just saying, I I think it would be nice if you could remove some channels because for me, I oh I yes would love to uninstall several channels. And I know you can go into parental controls and you can hide things. Hide them, and, yeah. It's worth it. But it's just not the same. And I I just feel like there's a better way to do it. Why not allow me to just delete it and then go back and re-add it later if I decide I want it? Just like you do on your phone. Exactly. Then if I decide that I want something, I can go out to the app store, I can download it, and problem solved. And if I don't, then I can get rid of it or leave it off. And that also kind of solves the content thing that we talked about in the last episode. Um, The idea that you can do an in-app purchase to subscribe to uh, a collection of content, or you could purchase specific episodes of a show. Um, So it gives developers a little more and these content companies a little more control over how they want to distribute their content through the Apple TV instead of corralling them into, oh, well, you have to sign in with your cable company thing. Instead, this gives them a way to say, we want to distribute it in this method and make our profits this way, which makes it oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, a lot more doable. So what's, what's our best case scenario? for the future of the Apple TV, do you guys think? I mean, it's certainly got to involve the App Store or, or some form of the App Store, maybe a channel store or maybe something uh, similar that we haven't quite thought of yet. Um, home automation's got to be a part of it. Uh, it seems like there's right. a lot of untapped potential. There's so much they could do with it. It's, it's just, uh, I mean, games, the home automation... Uh, just sitting there waiting for you to say something to it and, and serve you in some way with the, the home kit. So, yeah, I mean, I'll be disappointed if they don't go full blown. Ways to connect to other devices would be uh, would be incredible. I would love it to be some sort of a television hub where um, 
if I want to access my PS4, I can set it to a PS4 channel, and then suddenly I've got my PS4 in front of me. If I want to access my Xbox One or my Roku or any number of the millions of other connected TV devices that exist, that could be a really compelling uh, interface for that, a really compelling channel for that. So you say something... Something's on fire? <laughs> Amazon fire, but all right, anyway. Uh, <laughs> so are you, are you thinking of it acting as a... Where you'd almost plug your, HD, your HDMI outputs from your other things like the PS4 and the Amazon Fire or whatever into the back of the Apple TV, much like they did with the uh, Xbox One? Yeah, something very much like that. I, I don't know how feasible that it truly is, but it, it certainly could be interesting if you want to watch a DVD or if you want to play a game or whatever you want to do, the Apple TV is your route to doing that. And a major upside to that is obviously that everything you're doing on your Apple TV or rather on your other devices is going through your Apple TV. Right. Makes it an essential part of your living room, an essential part of your ecosystem. Yeah, it's going to be your central hub for the system. And doing that, in theory, Apple could actually somehow maybe even kind of know what it could know what you're watching or track what you're watching. And in theory, almost do like a suggested content to say, oh, well, you're watching this. You might also like this on iTunes. Buy it now. Talk about money right That's there, cool. right? Yeah, there you go. Well, did you know that we also have seasons four and five yeah. of this available? I mean, that's that's what's got to happen for this to be feasible for Apple. There's got to be money in it. There's got to be a way for it to increase revenue for them if they're going to do much with it at all. So worst case scenario, they add the App Store and open it up to developers. Uh, best case scenario, they revamp the whole device. They do things that competitors have already done, but they do it in, in the Apple way and make this more of a home entertainment hub. Sure. I can, I can go with that. I can jump on board with that. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd, be, I'd immediately be up there with a pre-order. Can we take, just take my money. Just shut up and take my money. <laughs> I mean, it would take a lot of work. They'd have to make arrangements with uh, with Sony and Microsoft and and Panasonic and all the major makers of these types of devices. But I certainly think if anybody's capable of doing that, it's it's Apple. They're excellent at making these types of connections, and they're also excellent at making money. Um, yes, they are. Which kind of transitions us to our our next topic which is the uh, Apple earnings call just happened uh, a week and a half or so ago. And it's their what second quarter. Yeah. Their second, second fiscal quarter 15. And it was obviously full of all kinds of huge revelations. Like Apple has an epic ton of cash just stacked up in a, a warehouse somewhere that they don't know what to do with. Surprise! Tim Cook sleeps on a money mattress. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that also told us iPhone sales were fantastic through the roof and everyone loves it. It's the greatest device in the world. And Macs are wonderful. And yet it was also another quarter of kind of sluggish iPad sales, which um, I guess it just 
kind of leads to the question, you know, what's next for iPad? What's happening there? It's, it's interesting. Do you think? Do you think it? I, I, I kind of wonder. There's a there's a lot of factors that I think could be affecting iPad sales in the negative. I think perhaps one of the biggest ones right now is the fact that they almost completely neglected the iPad Mini in their last round of updates. Uh, the, the fact that they did really nothing more than add a $100 thumbprint sensor and uh, uh, call that a new addition of the device, I think is disappointing to people. The iPad Mini was a very significant driver of iPad sales, and they they kind of uh, they kind of shot that one to bits. I think. But you also can't forget that they released the iPad Mini Mini, which was the iPhone Six Plus. Exactly. Right. So that could be poaching away some of that. Um, but I think that's probably kind of hurting some of those mini sales. Um, but you know, like for me, I think a bigger part is like I skip the fourth generation iPad and the air. And I went from a third generation iPad to the iPad air two. And so I think the, the refresh cycle on these devices is just so much longer than that of a phone because people aren't using them the same. And I think that's part of what's hurting the, the overall sales. Cause you don't buy a new one every year. Right. Um, you know, I, I think people look at it more like a computer where, you buy it and then you use it for a couple of years and then eventually it breaks or you get tired of using it or whatever it is. And I've, um, you slowly upgrade. I've read a lot of thoughts from a variety of blogs on this, uh, opinions from everybody from John Gruber to Federico Fatici of Mac stories. It seems like the running idea that, that a lot of, um, that a lot of places have and a lot of tech bloggers have is that maybe the, iPad is no longer distinguishable enough from the iPhone to really be a, that compelling third device that Apple wants it to be. There's there's a lot of ways in which, especially now, it's little more than a very, very large version of an iPhone 6 or an iPhone 6 Plus, uh, especially now that the 6 Plus can use screen space in a lot of the same ways that an iPad can. What do you guys think about right. that concept that the iPad's just not different enough at this point to be driving sales? You know, I kind of uh I kind of tend to agree with that. You know, there's there's very little that distinguishes the the iPad from the iPhones and especially as far as function goes or as far as iOS goes, you're really looking at the same device and almost any app now works on iPhone and iPad, so if you have a six plus, you're looking at almost a tablet like experience anyway. You know, I think there's certainly a, a certain level of the iPads now just a giant iPhone. Um, and it's, it's not different. Enough. Yeah. There's no distinguishing features that are different enough. And plus, like we just mentioned before, people just don't update them as often. There's, there's, I don't think there's really the push to, because I find myself updating every year with the iPhone just i have to have it you know it's almost a, but my ipad i've been in the same situation with you except uh, i had an ipad the the first retina ipad and then i did upgrade to the ipad air last year but the i the ipad 3 i had is perfectly serviceable uh julie uses it every day she loves it does everything pretty much that the ipad air does there's not a whole lot of difference there 
She does it. There you go. Very nice. Yeah, she does old it. Old one's just sitting here taking up space. <laughs> and I find myself using my iPhone six plus a lot more in cases where I normally would have used the iPad. Even reading books and things like that in iBooks, it, it's perfectly readable now. Yeah, I it do. used to be everything was scrunched up and you're always flipping, and but now it's 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 great. And you know it it makes even more sense. And when you consider that you can go to the bookstore and you can buy a a book that's five and a half inches, you know, book. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. the same size as the six plus. If you can tolerate reading on a screen, you are just about the same off same way off if you have a six plus and you're reading it on there and as if you had the actual physical book and so yeah the ipad just is my ipad air i don't think it's actually left the bedroom in two or three months i just use it to read at night uh read comics on marvel unlimited and you know half hour nighttime reading before i go to sleep so it just it's just laying by the bed all the time Mine's become something of a dedicated Netflix and Hulu device. I just I hang it above my mattress, and it's a it's my television substitute instead of being a productivity device like I intended. <laughs> and mine for me has just kind of become a a way to stream movies and share content up to my Apple TV. Um, you know, whether it's movies or YouTube or whatever, it's it's just a way for me to throw things up on the TV and to then use it as a way to watch and consume media. Um, not so much to do anything productive with it. I, I take it to a meeting occasionally and I end up just staring at it, sitting on the table and pull my phone out of my pocket to send a text or take so, a note. So here's an interesting question on that subject. There's been a lot of talk about a, uh, a 12.9 inch, iPad Air Pro, a, a professionally centered version of the device that um, is more catered to large screen applications, that's more catered to professional use. What would Apple need to bring to the iPad and, and particularly a larger version of the iPad to make some of these issues go away or at least decrease, to make it more suitable for not only home users but professional use cases? Hmm. I really think it, it needs to be some type of crossover between iOS and OS X. And I think that's really what's going to drive that differentiator and make the iPad a more viable product. If you can actually run full uh, full Mac apps on it and you still have the touch experience, then it gets much more functional. Uh, the Surface is already doing it with the Surface 3 and whatever. You can go and get desktop experience apps, or you can go out to the market on the Windows Store and get apps that way and use them as a tablet app. So I think that's what's going to really kind of steer Apple is they're really going to have to kind of follow the Microsoft footstep and say it's a tablet, but it's an actual computer at the same time which makes it kind of a truly productive device. So you think it'll be a total failure if they just come out with a larger iPad that just runs iOS? You think they're missing the boat on that? Oh, absolutely. I, I can't help but wonder um, if maybe the future of the Mac isn't directly relevant to this. 
right now, it, it would seem like uh, almost some sort of catastrophe to see macOS running on a tablet because it's just not designed for touch. It's really not designed for that type of use. The touch targets aren't large enough. It's still very much built with a mouse or trackpad in mind. Maybe we're going to see something with um, with the next version of OS X, which is also expected to at least be featured at WWDC. Um, and, and is there something that they can do or, or should do or or need to do to make it more of a touch-centric platform? Well, you can't forget that prior to Yosemite and the release of, um, not Mountain Lion, the other one. Um, Mavericks. Mavericks. Yeah, Mavericks, thank you. That they brought in the uh, pinch to see all your apps with the uh, launch pad or launch center, whatever. Um, right, right. They they started to bring that idea of like the iPad type interface where now you have these big icons that are totally tappable uh, with, uh, you know, using your fingers. The problem is the apps that then get launched aren't necessarily tablet friendly. But if you could actually hook a keyboard and mouse in kind of like the way the surface has their keyboard thing, you could still use them as a desktop app experience, but also run iOS apps. It seems like if they're going to go that route, if, if they're going to go the route of being able to run OS X and iOS on the same device, what we're going to need to see first is a synchrony of the two app stores. Uh, we have yet to see a truly universal app that gets you a license for both an iOS and a Mac device concurrently. Um, that's going to be something that's going to, to almost have to come into play before we see any real converging of Apple's different hardware platforms. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, when, uh, I, I, I hate to give props to Microsoft, but they've, they've done really well at this. As much as, I, as much as I'm not the biggest fan of, uh, of Windows 8, I will say... It's an excellent way to bridge the gap between the desktop and the tablet and the phone, even if the desktop is not an ideal experience right now. Well, they have been through several, uh, like four or five iterations of kind of this Windows update and App Store update to get them to a point where they're transitionable from phone to tablet to desktop. Um, and it it wasn't until you know they uh, continually changed this platform until they got to the point where it was like okay now they actually work because it was supposed to be a unified thing and it wasn't until their uh, their build conference that they got to a point where they had released whatever this new update is that actually supports the tablet and desktop in one even the xbox yeah uh, i didn't even know that right yeah. um yeah it's going to be all their platforms but yeah like now they're finally to a point where it's unified it's odd to see microsoft pioneering in the ways that that apple has so typically done agreed and they're even reaching out to ios and android developers with uh they introduced it at, the, at build where uh, and actually they mentioned something about that Windows itself is going to have a Android back backbone or something in it that's actually going to make it easier to port the Android 
uh, apps over to Windows. There's actually going to be able to, they demonstrated a, oh, what was it? Can't think of that. I watched the video. They demonstrated a, an app that usually ran on Android. All they had to do was basically recompile it, and then boom, it was running on Microsoft using their framework and everything because it, it made the same type of calls. This that's is why a, I'm so ex- That's really impressive. I didn't know that. Yeah. This is why I'm so excited about Apple's developer conference this year, almost above everything. It, it, it seems like last year they laid a groundwork for, for making this happen. And I think that groundwork is the Swift programming language. It's, it has a lot of potential that I don't think Apple's even touched on yet. And I don't think most developers have touched on yet. That's got to be one of the keys to making all of this stuff work together. Um, all of this stuff works seamlessly. But more than anything, Apple's got to have a heck of a response to what Microsoft is doing right now. And I can't wait to see what it is. They've got to have something up their sleeve. Well, if they don't, it'll sure, certainly give the naysayers more ammunition. Absolutely. So anything else exciting this past week or so in the world of tech? Apple-related or otherwise? Hmm. Nothing off the top of my head. All I'm thinking about right now is cigar and whiskey, but that's just me. <laughs> Any uh, good downloads or uh, apps you've seen, movies you've seen, products you're looking forward to checking out, anything... <sighs> Anything surprise you? You know, everything's been so Apple Watch centric for the past couple of weeks that I don't know if everybody's just kind of holding back or I haven't really seen anything exciting. I've got some some great iPhone cases from Pad and Quill I received the other day. I'm loving those. Nice little leather beauties. Oh, absolutely. I think I saw their uh their watch stand. Right. I'm looking forward to seeing that and maybe getting the chance to actually see one of those in person and get my hands on that or really any of the watch stands that I've seen promote online and stuff. Um, I, I've resorted to right now plugging my charger in and kind of wrapping the watch around the charging block. So it just hangs out against the wall you know, suspended in the air. I'd love to mm. see some of these stands in person and actually try them out and find one that, that works well. And uh, I think I'd be something our readers would certainly enjoy as well. If they've invested the money in the watch, why not the stand? I'll, uh, I'll contact some of our, our people and see if they will get it. Any of them want to maybe have Mr. Ian, review their stands that would be fantastic yeah we we ought to do um maybe maybe a small roundup of some compelling apple watch accessories there's a variety of stands out there i've seen cases from uh, a variety of companies uh spigeon there's some uh great ones on kickstarter like the bumper which is largely a rubber encasement um it seems like there's going to be a really highly flourishing um accessory market for this device that certainly, certainly is worth some attention. Well, and I've already seen the uh, third-party like screen protectors from Zag and um, in 
Visa Shield or in, uh, yeah. Clear Armor or whatever the other brands are. Um, I know they're already putting stuff out to help protect the screen and potentially part of the casing and stuff like that. Yeah, those are starting to show up in the marketplace already. I, I can't wait to see if somebody comes out with a uh, a good version of a tempered glass screen protector that will still actually work with the uh, slightly flexible touch display of the watch. I'm, I would like to see that, and I'm also really looking forward to this uh, this uh, thing you keyed me on to, Glenn. The click on Kickstarter. Oh yes, yeah, so the um. Yeah, it's a, it's a watch band adapter that's done really well on Kickstarter that allows you to use uh, any 22-millimeter uh, watch band on your device. Um, I think we'll be seeing a lot of similar, similar ways for people to uh, play around with watch bands and customize the device a little bit more without, um, without paying Apple's admittedly high prices for many of these bands. Well, don't get me wrong. I... The fluorelastomer sport band is fantastic, and it's very well made. Yeah, well, that, that's yeah, I mean, um, and the leather bands certainly felt great when I did my try-on thing. That's but, the thing about Apple's bands. Uh, y- you know that buying a band from Apple is is going to get you a very high quality band, um, one that's taken all the pertinent factors into consideration, like the rub point between the watch and the actual band, and the flexibility and feeling of the materials but on that same token some of these bands are just you know incredibly priced upwards of several hundred dollars so there's got to be a balance in between that right and you would think there has to be a a more affordable option i'm excited to see what accessory makers are exactly are going to do and and what sort of uh what sort of a market we're going to see for this sort of thing um that still allows for the quality that that we hope will will have the use with such an expensive wearable exactly and, and i don't remember where it was if it was a, a use in the user's guide book or something that came with the watch but it references the the watch and only using it with apple approved watch bands or apple authorized third-party bands so we're obviously going to see a watch uh, certification type a licensing program right a licensing program to to certify bands as apple i certainly hope so approved so anything else exciting or have we kind of reached the end of of things to discuss today i think that just told you I think we've got it. Well, <laughs> in in that case, uh, once again, I want to thank both Chris and Glenn for for joining me again. Always a pleasure, indeed. And uh, we will be back in a couple weeks with uh, hopefully another exciting episode. And uh, until then, Chris, enjoy your whiskey and cigar. Uh, thank you, sir. Have a good evening, Glenn. Enjoy your new managerial duties. Absolutely. Hopefully not not too much longer. And to all of our loyal listeners, we appreciate you tuning in, and we will catch you next time.